Welcome to the 144th episode of The Week with Roger, a conversation between analysts about all things telecom, media, and technology from Recon Analytics. I'm Don Kellogg, and with me as always is Roger Entner. How are you doing, Roger? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So, Roger, we spent a lot of time on the podcast talking about DISH, and they recently hit a pretty important milestone uh, in terms of their deployment. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Well, DISH did their press announcement that they have made their 70% coverage requirement for 5G service. And 5G service here defined as as data. They also released that 70 million customers had access to their, their owner, their voice over NR. Which is a fa- fancy way of saying data-fueled voice or, or almost like a VoIP-type connection. Well, all of, all of voice is now data, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like over what? Right. If you are making a voice call on a, a regular phone, it goes voice over LTE. LTE. Now, if you don't have LTE, like 4G, like Dish has, you can't do that. You have to do voice over NR, Boner. Right, which is 5G, unless you fall back on somebody else's network. But that's not the point of the FCC thing. And by the way, 70% of the US is like 225 million customers or people. And Voner is a third of that, 70 million. Voner is notoriously difficult to get set up, right? And I know that T Mobile had some issues with it for a while at first. Digis had some issues with it, right? It's, it's, very tuning intensive, correct? It, it is very latency dependent, all of that. T-Mobile launched it now in six markets, but they still have their Volti to fall back onto. But for DISH, why do we have a DISH network? It's because the FCC and the DOJ wanted to have a fourth competitor right, in the market. What DISH has been doing is a technological model. They're the first one who does 5G, NR, standalone, core, with no fallback. It's a high-wire, tightrope walk without a safety net. And, you know, in one-third of the the places where they have coverage, they don't need a safety net, right? It's a massive, massive achievement. You have to give them credit for it. But at the same time, they might live up to their commitment but it's not the sprint replacement competitor that the government hoped for. And so the question is, A, will will the FCC and the DOJ accept that, yes, they made the $200 million on data only? Because is that really a viable competitor in the market? You know, would you buy cell phone service? With only data connection? Uh, probably not, right? Or will they say, fine, you you did it, but then are they kind of complicit in this or are they tacit approval? I don't know. It's a tough one. Well, and the technical piece is only one half of it, right? Because you've got to get customers riding on the network too. It's not a build it and they will come type of thing. In Dish's case, it's build it and they don't come. Right, the Genesis network, which is that five G standalone network, I don't think they have more than a hundred thousand customers. 
They just launched a new offer there, Infinite Plus. And from what we hear, it's... Somewhat finite. Very finite, right? You can probably say hello to to all of the, the people who signed up the first day in a larger conference room because it required trade-in, trade-in over but by sending it in. You know, we know from other cases that is like notorious for for disputes between the carrier and the consumer of how good is this device actually and how much money do they deserve. And then it goes back and forth and highlights the problems that you have when you don't have distribution. Well, and I believe they only had one, at least at launch, they only had one device that was working on their network. I don't know if it's expanded past them, but it's not. Are they on on iPhones yet? On which network? The Infinite Plus was like riding on the T-Mobile and AT&T network, right? It wouldn't even work on the Genesis network, Mm -hmm. that offer, which is kind of sad, right? Well, I mean, I think it's fair to say, and you said this earlier, but they're juggling a lot of balls right now. They're juggling a lot of balls. Trying to stand up a greenfield network, getting getting new customers, etc. It's difficult. Without a doubt. But that's what they signed up for. They should have known going in that, you know, this is a tall order. And then DISH also announced that it's not building out because they're running out of money. So in two years comes the really difficult build-out goal, which is 75% of each PEA. And 70% of the, the U.S. population is not that hard. It's, it's the top 50 markets because the U.S. population is so concentrated in these markets of top 65. But covering... of the population in each PEA is tough and expensive. Well, and there are over 400 PEAs. 416 of them. And they have spectrum in each of them, right? So that's a tall order. And now, you know, they either have to find money. And, you know, last time they raised money on Wall Street was 11 point something percent, which is like horrible. They have to find more funding or the government gives them more time for that build-out requirement. And if things go really smart and and well for him, then this build-out requirement drags out to like 2028 uh, because he can sell his Spectrum and his company uh, in 2027. And so that would be a... Scotty beam me up kind of thing. You know, the aliens are about to crush me moment for the company. But it's tough. But in the interim, they need, you know, sell your kidney interest rates level of, of funding, right? And and the carriers didn't want to buy the spectrum or couldn't come to a deal to sell to buy the spectrum without any sort of network assets sitting on it before and now there's a bunch of network assets that may or may not be compatible with what's going on with what the the other carriers are doing right nobody cares about the network assets anymore so the other day uh, i talked with a gentleman who was involved in quite of the the few of the small carrier buyouts and in the past you know the the 
big carrier bought also the network equipment and all of these things. And they bought the customer base. That's no longer the case. Nowadays, they only buy the spectrum, the naked spectrum. And if you get your customers to sign up with that new carrier, they give you a per head bounty. But the days of somebody buying something outright and in totality are gone. And when you look at what T-Mobile bought it with Sprint, ultimately, they paid $26 billion for a spectrum that on paper, in theory, was worth at least double of that. They bought 18 million customers. They bought this and that at a bargain. It, you know, everything makes like the, the T-Mobile's deal like... In hindsight, yeah, it was a fantastic deal. It was a fantastic deal. And the management of the DOJ and the FCC was masterful because the restrictions that they have were none of any consequence. Well, they had to divest the Boost prepaid brand, right? Which is where, where we are with Dish, right? But like I, the Altel merger had, I think, more divestitures than T-Mobile Sprint. But that brings us back to Dish. They have a real distribution problem. And how are they going to fix it? They need all the big box carriers that they can get. But their biggest problem is, ironically, the intense competition between Amazon and Walmart. And will Walmart be okay to sell a Amazon-powered network? Probably not. Probably not. I'm not but, sure about it, right? Well, so I mean, let me challenge you on that a bit. I think... You know, when you look at a, a carrier like Mint or Envino like Mint, you know, granted, they're not the the same heavyweight, multiple tens of millions of, of customers as some of the other prepaid brands out there. But they've been very successful without any physical distribution network. They're a fully D2C brand. And so to say that you, you need you need distribution, I, I think some people would like to have distribution. I wouldn't say you need it. If you want to be a one and a half or two million customer carrier and you call that success, then yes. Mint has been very successful in a very small niche. So Mint, Mint has done it. Google Fi has done it, right? Google Fi is around a couple million as well. Google Fi is bigger than Mint. Right. Visible, which we'll never find out how many people are actually on that network. But they do it as well, right? And so, I mean, it's not like you completely forgo the ability to be successful but not have the physical distribution. Charlie Ergen didn't buy this thing for 2 million customers after he started with nine, right? And Mint is a very difficult example because they have by far the best wholesale deal in the industry, bar none. Right. It's approaching owner's economics, which you have if you build your own network, which Charlie's doing. Yeah, you have owner's economics if you have people on your network. If you have no people on your network, you have <laughs> owner's costs. Without That's the fair. That's fair, right? Mint has a phenomenal spokesperson who does this for free because he owns part of it. And they're pouring tons of money into advertising. Mint's business model was set up that somebody would buy them rather quickly. Mint's model was not a model that other companies could emulate for success. That's the fact. And Charlie would go bankrupt on running the same model as Mint has because he needs to grow faster than having, you know, over the course of, what, three years or so or four years, 
one and a half million customers. That's the other thing. Yes, you can be fully digital, MBO, if you don't want to be big. And if you don't want to be big, I always say MBO is a wonderful business model for people who don't want to be really successful in wireless. If you want to be really successful in wireless, and that means tens of millions of customers, you want to be an MO. You want to have your own network. But until then, it's really, really tough. Yeah, I mean, I think my push on that would be, you know, the part of the allure of, of building a, the first greenfield network in 20 years, right, is that the, the costs associated with operating that network, once it's built, you're not, you're not dealing with all kinds of legacy equipment that you don't need, legacy SKUs, everything is virtualized. The promise, and I will, we'll see if this, this delivers, right, but the promise is that the operating overhead is much, 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 much lower, and the management of the, of the network is much easier than once it's running, right? I mean, getting it running is hard, right? The cost, I'm sorry. When you look at Verizon's financial statements, their cost to serve a customer is $7. If Dish gets that down to half, to three, or two, or even to zero, the cost difference is $7. Who gives a flying hoot? If you multiply this out to 50, 70 million customers, we're talking about real money in the end. But on a rate plan, a $7 difference on a rate plan, because you can't go below zero, I don't see how, how it will hurt anybody. They're not getting the 70 million customers. They don't, have, they don't have the spectral capacity for that anyway, right? But like, my point is that the cost equation is different. It may not, may not be different enough, right? But it is different. And I say the cost equation doesn't matter. Because we're talking about single-digit dollars. We're probably talking about the difference of $5 between the cost of serve on this network and the cost to serve on Verizon's network. Five bucks. And ARPUs are in the 40s. Well, or if you're dish, you know, they're in the mid-30s, right? So Yeah. But still, $5 price difference per month. You can offer your service for $5 cheaper and have the same. Or you can spend $5 more on a, on marketing per customer, right? On whatever, right? But, yeah. but still, the other guys have 100 million customers head start. Yeah. Well, I think you would, you would agree that the cost of operating all those direct locations is also quite high, right? And that's a big piece of the cost equation you take out. But... As I said, distribution is like a divorce. Why are divorces so expensive? Because they're worth it, right? Nobody likes it. It's a horrible thing, but it's worth it. The customers who go through a shop, through a store, have higher APU, higher attachment of, of accessories. People always like to forget that. They are happier. They have lower churn all of the other metrics are worth it. The carriers don't have these stores because they they are idiots, right? No, because they're actually worth it, the stores. Well, and the carriers are forever in a day been looking at seeing ways they control costs can control costs around direct locations. You know, we saw what happened with Verizon in particular during during COVID, right? They they lost all their store traffic and they had a really hard time getting it back. And guess what? Their nets were down over the same time period when when they lost their store traffic, right? 
No, I, I don't disagree with you, but that's also selling at a you know sixty seventy dollar ARPU a lot of times. You know, for those subs. So I mean, uh, you know, if you want a premium experience, then you get white glove service with a real person, right? If you want bargain basement pre basement prepaid prices, then maybe you have to forgo that and you go through an online channel. And Verizon's ARPU is still in the forties. So th- there's one thing: these headline prices, and then there's what they want to sell, and then there's the thing that they do sell. So it's like, eh, right. anyway. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on the dish thing. I think it's certainly interesting. It'll be interesting to see what, what happens on the financing front in particular, because none of this works without money, right? No. Money makes the world go round. All right. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Bye.